the heaven of the sun, which is Cantos 10 to 14, verse 84. An introduction, first of all. We have left the heavens that are under the influence of the earth's shadow, leaving the sensuous worlds of our will, ambitions and loves behind. Immediately, we enter the realm of intellectual illumination. The heaven of the sun is where the wise and the saints first approach Dante. They are diverse manifestations of the Lord, for the sun, as previously noted, is a symbol of God himself. The goal of wisdom is knowledge of God. And remember, the light of the sun comes from a consuming fire. Those who seek such wisdom are like moths attracted by the candle's light. Light rapidly becomes flames and a consuming heat. Just as the moth is reduced to dust in the fire, so the love of our selfhood has to be extinguished in the flames of love. Wisdom is not given lightly, and then only through commitment and ascetic effort. The planets tinged by the earth's shadows are recipients of the rays of the sun's heaven. In our struggles and unseen warfare, we are drawn up by the divine mystery through the operation of the Holy Spirit, by whom we receive the grace to persevere. In our effort and work, the examples of Christ known in the wise and the saints are of paramount importance. They are a coming together of spiritual energies. Emphatically, we must have the will to live a Christian life. As a consequence, we are then fed by God's grace. As St. Seraphim of Zaroff said, the object of the Christian life is to acquire the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ comes and takes off his abode in our hearts. And once again we note how the Marian mysteries shed light on our inner life. We ask Mary to guard us under her protection and to help present our prayer before the throne on high. context of what has been said, it is therefore little wonder that Canto 10 begins with an ascription of praise to the Most Holy Trinity. And note, Canto 10, the Ten Commandments, the fulfilment through Christ of the way, the life and the truths. Surely Dante has calculated his cantos accordingly. We are reminded of the Orthodox prayer, My hope is the Father, my refuge is the Son, my protection is the Holy Spirit. O Holy Trinity, glory to Thee. This said, it should be noted that in line 3, Dante confesses the Philoque, that breathes itself, that is the Holy Spirit, eternally from each that is, the Father and the Son. Dante is insisting that the key is our contemplation of the Most Holy Trinity, for the divine mystery itself is relationship, and from relationship springs the source of love. In love we cannot fail to taste, quotation marks, God. Therefore, he bids us to look up 
from the lower three earth-tinged heavens of our wavering wills and our ambitions and our loves and gaze on what he calls the master's art, the cosmos and its heavens. For the whole creation resonates with the mutual exchange of what is above with that which is below. Dante re-emphasizes Beatrice's beauty. The sun is the source that draws out the natural growth and the beauty of nature that is all about us. The heaven of the sun therefore draws out beauty, wisdom and sanctity, the qualities by which the abiding is discerned. There is an abyss of difference between pretty and beauty. A quality of beauty is compassion. The souls that are about to gather around Dante and Beatrice are compassionate, loving. The variety of souls emphasizes Dante's insight into how the Holy Spirit draws out of all our differences a new, higher, more perfect unity. We have to learn to listen to the promptings of our conscience and leave behind us our prejudices and self-centered judgments. The wise and the saints are those who have taken into themselves the deep significance of the commandments and who have moved on through the grace of the Holy Spirit to the acquisition of the Beatitudes, the fruits of knowing God in Christ. Jesus, the Son of our S-U-N, Jesus, the Son of our hearts, radiates in the rays of this heaven, and Dante emphasizes this by his vision of Christ as he ascends from the heaven of the sun, the heaven of Mars, the abode of the martyrs. We will come to this next week. Our Lord reveals himself amidst the saints. In Revelation, he revealed himself amid the seven candlesticks, which symbolized the menorah of the ancient temple, the seven spirits of God. These are made known to us in Dante's thought through the qualities of the first seven heavens of which the sun is central and hence represents the deep mystery of the heart. No wonder St. John saw our Lord amid the seven lights, for he is both the sun, S-O-N, and the king, the deep center and the heart. Sainthood is a divine knowing. It is, a, it is plenitude through devotion, the harmonization of possibilities, in particular the mystery of the heart, for it becomes receptive, embracing the luminous darkness. It is full of grace, rigorous, the measure of things, peace, love, joy, and the freedom where boundaries cease. It is said that the, the heart is green, fertile. When viewed through a prism, black and white shapes throw off the colours of opposites of the hot and cold hues. Opposites suggest the intellectual, that is the, the, the cool colours, the blues, and the emotional, the red and the yellows. Green is only formed, when you look through the prism, when these opposites meet. This symbolically emphasises that the physical and the intellectual must be harmonised in the heart. And this is the aim of the wise and the saints. No doubt some of you have picked up, I've referred there to Goethe's theory of colours, 
Well, his theory of colours is actually based on a, an ancient um, understanding of colour. He wrote, he wrote it in response, really, to um, Newton's idea of and colour theory. Goethe wanted to bring back the what can I call it, the, the, the spiritual dimension to the concept of colour. Now the commandment of this heaven is clearly, thou shalt do no murder. That is, do not stop the flow of life. Do not suppress truth. Do not destroy beauty. Do not hinder goodness. Do not kill, pervert torture, drag down, inflict pain on another. It is little wonder that the light of the cross shines forth from this heaven and is seen in the ruddy cross, ruddy cross of souls of the martyrs in the heaven of Mars. I think um, a thought I had coming today is that what Dante is saying that true knowledge and true love has to lead to witness and martyr means simply witness they are nothing love and knowledge if we're not prepared to witness bear witness to them in our lives I think that's what Dante has in mind The wise and the saints pray. Now, the verb to pray in Hebrew is hit payel, which literally means to judge oneself. How we pray, in other words, so we are. If we consider that our work is also an integral part of our prayer life, then the work we undertake too must be right and good. So to pray is to judge oneself, to set oneself in relationship to God. And the wise and the saints recite the Psalms, contemplate all matters true. They apply themselves to understanding, gaining wisdom, learning to be silent, guarding the heart from the passions and becoming receptive and humble. There is, as already emphasised, a struggle. And this is biblically symbolised by Jacob's struggle with the angel in Genesis 32, um, verses 1 to 32. The wise and saints are teachers by their examples, and their lives were a supreme effort for truth, as they discovered the cross in the midst of their conflicts. Truth is only won through the unseen warfare with the spirits of negativity, the many voices we hear without and within. The victory of warfare is the true beauty of the soul. As the cantors of the heaven of the sun are studied, it will be seen that Dante is describing how in this heaven the souls balance to one another their different gifts, intellectual and emotional, physical and spiritual. Their vision embraces the past, the present and the future. They are as important in detail as in their totality. They relate to each other harmoniously because they first relate to God. Furthermore, it is implied that one does not reach this heaven by oneself, but through relationship with the world and with one's fellow human beings. Dante is teaching that we become truly human when we begin to relate to the wise and the saints, and therefore the Christ who is in their and our midst.
Canto 10, lines 82 to 90, stresses. Sorry, sorry, wrong, wrong reference. Apologies. Compassionate love and enlightenment, enlightened judgment are the hallmarks of this heaven. Thus emphasizing that the sun, the heaven of the sun, is the recipient of the heavens of Mars, that is rigor and judgment, and Jupiter, that is mercy. Now I turn specifically to Canto 10. Since the spiritual sun is the light of Christ and the wise and his saints, it is therefore implied that to reach this heaven is a process of deification. This has begun in earnest, and that is the reference that I wanted. I mistimed. Canto 10, um, verses 82 to 19. The poet's theme of transhumanal, of transfiguration, is therefore given particular emphasis in lines 40 to 54. On entering the heaven of the sun, he is oblivious of colour and experiences only light, light beyond our imaginings. Dante describes the heavens as family of souls, and here we may recall our Lord's words in John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. Dante is so enraptured by the light as he focuses all love on our Lord that his contemplation eclipses Beatrice, at which she smiles, the radiance of which recalls his mind from the one to the many and the many to the one, for such is the mystery of the mystical body. It is the life known through the fulfilment of the law. And I have three references there. Mark 12, verses 28 to 32. Matthew 22, verses 30 to 40. And Luke 10, 25 to 28. Dante suddenly finds himself encircled, haloed by a an aura or circle of blessed spirits. Late, later in Canto 11, lines 13 to 15, Dante is to liken his experience as being at the centre of a great circular chandelier or corona lucis, as may be seen hanging from the central domes of churches, especially so in the Orthodox tradition. This illusion has particular meaning once it is realised that orthodox swing and twist the great chandeliers during the great paschal liturgy, with the whole church ablaze with candles, this central dance of light is exactly what Dante is alluding to. Maybe in Ravenna, Greek traditions such as this had lingered on. The association of the heaven of the sun with the supernatural, transfiguring, uncreating light of the resurrection therefore becomes evident. I read the, the next um, sequence slowly because it, it refers um, to a whole load of people. There are ten blessed spirits that encircle Dante. St. Thomas Aquinas, Albertus Magnus, Gretchen, Peter Lombard, King Solomon, Dionysius the Areopagite, Orosius, Boethius, Isidora Seville, the Venerable Bede, Richard of Saint Victor, and Cizier of Brabant. Indeed, in this circle, moving and dancing to the melodious harmonies of heaven, next to one another are two intellectual opponents in the world of mortality, 
Aquinas and Sigier. But death, trodden down by Christ's resurrection, enables both now to share in that victory and move together harmoniously. Dante is at pains to show how in Christ we are ultimately reconciled. The author, that is St. Thomas, of the Summa Theologica and the consequent burden of scholasticism on the intellectual life of the Western Church moves graciously with St. Dionysius, the Platonist. King Solomon, who lived in worldly splendour, now dances with St. Bede, the humble monk of Northumbria. Boethius, the Roman statement, statesman and philosopher, whose writings had, as we have already seen, a profound influence over Dante, joined song with a Scot, the mystic Richard of Saint Victor. We have displayed before us the art of the reconciliation of intellect and faith, that is, Aquinas, the art of study, that is, Albert Magnus, the art of canon law, that is, Gratian, the art of the knowledge of the tradition of the fathers, that is, Peter Lombard, the art of kingly wisdom, that is, Solomon, the art of apophatic theology, St. Dionysius, the art of history, Erosius, the art of philosophical consolation and the deep nature of music, Boethius, the art of encyclopedic knowledge, Isidore Seville, the art of spiritual insight, the Venerable Bede, the art of contemplation, Richard of St. Victor, and the art of reconciliation in intellectual knowledge, Sigier of Brabant. It's an extraordinary um, gathering of Dante's mentors all about him. It's a wonderful spectacle of intellectual reconciliation and perhaps we ought to pause and nominate our own mentors that we have known during our life. Così vidio la gloriosa rotta muoversi e rende voce a voce in tempra, in dolcezza ch'essa non può nota, se non coladove gior si in, si in sempra. Lines 145 to 48. And so I saw it move, the glorious wheel, and voice with voice, harmonious change and chime, sweetness unknown, therefore only knowable, where ever-present joy knows naught of time. Canto 11. This canto opens with the denunciation of worldly ambitions those ambitions in which we wish to bathe our success and glory. Dante in particular singles out the legal, medical, religious and political professions as those easily detracted from the narrow way, the eye of the needle, at which we must unload all our worldly gains if we are to continue onwards with our pilgrimage. In the Convivio, Dante was emphatic. It is wrong to attempt to gain wisdom and knowledge for financial gain. The theme of the canto is further evidence of Dante's belief that there is a harmonic balance of all things true. This is emphasised by St. Thomas Aquinas, Dominican, theologian and scholastic philosopher, 
singing the praises of St. Francis of Assisi. If the first ring of blessed spirit represents the intellectual, the knowledge of things eternal, the second ring of souls about to appear represents the love we must have towards God, for otherwise there can be no understanding and the first circle will become a mockery. The knowledge of God is like the order of the cherubim, radiating outwards that which they have received. Our love for God, however, is like the order of the seraphim, which ever behold the divine light and fire of the deity. St. Francis had a vision of a seraph when he received the stigmata. Could it be said here that the fire for a Christian is the mystery of the cross, the fire which we may not escape if we embrace the yoke of Christ? If this is so, then the resurrection is truly the light that must enlighten all those who approach the Lord. Now some Orthodox find St. Francis of Assisi a difficult saint of the Western Church to appreciate. This is because so much appears in the little flowers of St. Francis to be based on emotion and imaginary visions, setting personal experience in the context of what could be described sometimes as psychic delusion. Now it's best to lay aside the little flowers of St. Francis, for they are extreme, an extreme and sentimental appraisal of the saint written a hundred years after his death. Far better to turn to St. Bonaventura's Life of St. Francis, sometimes known as the Legenda Mayor, and his Mirror of Perfection. These writings represent a more balanced understanding of a figure that has inspired Western spirituality for centuries. And the St. Francis I know comes really from the writings of St. Bonaventura. That is not to say that the little flowers of St. Francis is all nonsense, no, but it, they have to be read with, dis, with discretion. Enough said on this matter. However, it is essential to appreciate that the West from approximately the year 1000 onwards, through the insertion into the creed of the Philoque clause, evolved a devotional way which became ever, ever more focused on the humanity at expense of the, the divinity in the sense of the cosmic divinity of the incarnate Lord. In this, this in time evolved to an overemphasis on individualism and the Renaissance being the great watershed, resulting in time and the fragmenting of the West into its many various denominations. In this context, Dante's separation of knowledge and love in the heaven of sun could be seen as a weakness. This criticism should disappear at once if it is recognised that the poet is attempting to show how all the differences of our personalities and their concerns are ultimately harmonised in the life of paradise. There can be no love of God without knowledge, just as there can be no true knowledge of God without love. And at the core of this is the strength of our commitment and life of prayer. And remember, theology separated from prayer is but an intellectual idol. What is the virtue Dante extols in the Poverello of Assisi? It is, of course, poverty. In, it, indeed, it could be argued that the poet a Franciscan tertiary himself, 
takes the reader through the saint's life in order to concentrate on the New Testament injunction on poverty in spirit and worldly goods. This becomes, as ever, an aspect of his, con of his condemnation of the rapacious papacy as a source of greed, unnecessary riches, and a striving for worldly power. For Dante, the poverty of St. Francis was the embodiment of the Spirit of Christ for the challenge of his day. He also gives emphasis on Francis's mystical marriage to Lady Poverty, a concept he was fully qualified to sympathise with through his own, his own understanding of the figure of Beatrice. If we take care in attempting to understand St. Francis in the light of better sources, and thus free from the claptrap tinsel sentimentality and at times horrific examples of totally bad art associated with the Franciscan, Franciscan movement. Then we, we would discover the spirit of the man who wrote the Canticle of the Sun and prayers of great, great beauty. He called on Christ as his saviour, as did St. Seraphim Azaroth. And in the great wisdom of things, these two beloved saints must surely be now participating in the adoration of the beloved. I just give you one example of a horrific painting of St. Francis in the Brera in Milan, painted by an artist called Lanfranco. And the imagery of the Counter-Reformation and how it interpreted St. Francis is often perverse and borders on the unhealthy. Then at the same time, something more happy, anthologies of Italian usually begin with St. Francis's Canticle of the Sun. And he is taken as one of the great sources of the movement of Italian to the vernacular language and preparing the way for Dante to write his Commedia in Italian. Canto 12 Dante with Beatrice at his side watches the movement of the circle of lights as the second encircles them. Both move harmoniously, breathing corresponding with each other, as it were, as a dance to splendid music. The interrelationship between the two circles is again emphasised by the appearance of St. Bonaventura, the Minister-General, who attempted to integrate the ideals of St. Francis of Assisi into an acceptable form and heal the rifts that had arisen amongst the friars minor. He contrasts well with St. Thomas the Aristotelian, for he was essentially a Platonist, inspired by the writings of St. Dionysius the Areopagite. The result is that works such as The Soul's Journey into God and The Tree of Life contrast with the mood of Aquinas's Summa Theologica. So now it is a Platonist who answers an Aristotelian by relating the life of Aquinas's, the founder of Aquinas's order, St. Dominic. St. Dominic is often understood as a difficult saint because of the originating of the Inquisition with him and the crusade against the Albigensians. Also, people have tended to see the Western Rosary as originating with St. Dominic. I think more likely it originates from his order rather than from the saint. <coughs> 
And there's clearly a, a gnosis that lies behind the Western what rosary and its imagery. And perhaps it was um, brought into being as a, a defense in many ways against the Albigensians, a sort of prayer, a defense in prayer. It's very, the Western Rosary is very profound. The church in the West in Dante's time was becoming ripped apart by heresies and sects. Even the Franciscan spirituals were being persecuted. For example, the poet friar Jacopone da Todi was tortured and imprisoned for his outspoken stance against Pope Boniface VIII, who, of course, we met deep in hell. Dante lived in difficult times, times which were a prelude to the unavoidable reformation which divided and still divides Europe, the Protestant North and the Catholic South. In this context, what is the poet saying about St. Dominic? Like Francis, he lived in absolute poverty. That alone would have attracted Dante's admiration. Here, however, it is the saint's selfless zeal for the purity of faith that is underlined. Thus the two saints are selected to represent the need to return to evangelical poverty and a faith grounded in the tradition of the church. That is the gospel and the teaching that goes hand in hand with the new life. A clue is given to the reader in lines 82 to 85. Dominic is contrasted to theologians who merely pore over commentaries on the decretals of Roman ecclesiastical law. Dante is saying that the study of the true meaning of the gospel, the writings of the Father, were being in his time neglected for the twists and turns of intolerant legalistic minds, which we may add were the true origin of the Inquisition and its horrors. And again, a reference to the realm of painting. I'm sure none of us who have seen paintings depicting the tortures of the Counter-Reformation in paintings by Magnasco or Goya cannot feel but repugnance. The souls of the second circle come into focus and are introduced by St. Bonaventura. Now there's a difference of emphasis here to the first circle. And I will read slower so you can get all the various names down. We have already noted the difference between St. Bonaventura, the Platonist, and St. Thomas Aquinas the Aristotelian. Here in the second circle is Fra Illuminato, who accompanied Francis to the Holy Land in the attempt to convert the Saladin to Christianity and thus bring peace between the Moors and Christians. Brother Agostino is another Franciscan indeed one of the earliest followers of the saint. Hugh of San Victor combated rationalism, rationalism, ra rationalism. Richard of San Victor and Peter Lombard, who we met in the first circle, were both his pupils. Peter Comestor also became a canon of St. Victor and wrote a history of the church. Petrus Hispanus became Pope John XXI and wrote a manual on logic. Nathan was the prophet who reproved David for causing the death of Uriah, thus enabling him to marry Bathsheba.
he contrasts with King Solomon of the first ring. Thus we have in the two rings the kingly priestly tradition associated with the temple and the prophetic faith associated with the prophet Nathan. Dante also sees St. John Chrysostom. The word Chrysostom means the golden mouth, so called due to the power of his preaching. He was the originator of the liturgy, most generally used by Orthodox today. Next is Anselm, a Benedictine and Archbishop of Canterbury, who wrote Cur Deus Homo, a treatise on the Atonement and the Incarnation, which greatly influenced Dante. And indeed, his arguments were summarised in Canto Seven. Rubanus Maurus was a theologian and archbishop who wrote a treatise on the Holy Cross, illustrated by symbolic devices that influenced Dante's own understanding of cosmology. And finally, there is another personality who decorated his writings with symbolic imagery, Joachim of Flora. He was the prophet of the age of the Father, that is the Old Testament, the age of the Son, that is the New Testament, and the age of the Spirit that is to come. Joachim may perplex, as Sigier of Brabant does in the first circle. But for Dante, Joachim was a true prophet, and he was taken very much to heart by the, Fran the Franciscan spirituals, possibly indicating Dante's own um, um, more intimate Franciscan friends. This fact gives further insight into the mind of the poet. He did believe firmly that history was at the crossroads. The watershed, as we've emphasised time and time again, was to come a century later with the humanism of the Florentine Renaissance and the reaction of Savonarola, the corruption of the Renaissance papacy with the Borgias and so on, and eventually the bloodshed of the Reformation. History would never be the same again. It is very much, it is to be very much doubted that Dante would consider us now to be in the age of the Spirit, except he may point out that at least we have an illumination today that shows us that we stand as judges of ourselves amidst an ecological catastrophe brought on by our own greed and exploitation of peoples and environment. The spirit of the living God will always judge that which is not of the eternal kingdom and which is not of this world. In other words, in the words of Blake, all progress is judgment. Canto 13. The first 23 lines remind us again of the impact that the heavens had on our forefathers. A great canopy of constellations, planets and individual stars spread above them, like lights glistening on a great dome. In the splendour they saw patterns, symbols, numerical and geometric structure and mythological tales. When they looked up they praised the created order and sought what was above in that which is below, and vice versa. The heavens gave them direction, not only to sail the oceans, 
but to understand the interplay of their own lives. In this immensity, they were far more at home than we today in our Copernican universe, infinite space and black holes. Dante, unlike ourselves in our capsules and space travel, moves at ease through the heavens, for they are a symbol of his true home. They are an expression of the love that moves the sun and the other stars. Today, in our artificially lit cities and towns, we no longer see the heavens clearly at night. Now they may seem remote, a plaything for scientists and glib programs of the media. Alienated from the cosmos, alienated from nature, as well, so often alienated from each other. No wonder we have become alienated from God. We are no longer at home except amidst our gadgets, cars, possessions and playthings. We have invented a pastime called tourism that exploits peoples and their environment. We distract ourselves with sex and frivolities. If only we could but see it, we have indeed immersed ourselves in what Dante would have called with the preacher of Ecclesiastes, an infinite vanity. The concept of life as love, as a pilgrimage, as a return to our true home, a sorting out of the wood from the trees, has been discarded from our consciousness with all our pretentious knowledge and savoir-faire we have become empty in matters spiritual. During these cantos dedicated to the heaven and the sun, Beatrice, you would note, has kept silence. St. Bonaventura and especially St. Thomas have taken the centre of the stage to interpret the radiance shining about them. Dante is confiding to us the 24 intellects which were for him mentors, minds who aided in and who encouraged him to have the resolve to stabilize his will, filter out the true essence of his amb ambitions from worldly vanities, and to know the true direction of his love. He came to understand that the fundamental driving force of his life, reborn in Beatrice's love, was the harmony between knowledge and love, represented here in his poem by clarity of thought in respect to his beliefs, that is Dominic Aquinas, and simplicity of life, that is Francis Bonaventura. Such values are, of course, applicable to all of us. No, no more so than to the corrupt state of affairs of his own day, hence the underlying prophetic tone of the Commedia. Note how the canto emphasizes the cornerstones of Christian belief that God is the mystery of the Holy Trinity and that the Incarnation implies the incarnate Lord who is truly God and truly man and that in his early life he carried about with him these two natures. Dante is perfectly orthodox here. St. Thomas Aquinas now returns to speak with Dante. He emphasizes the essential teaching of true knowledge, that the creation is God's handiwork. It is certainly not some <coughs> clockwork mechanical toy of the deus 
that can be taken apart by scientific curiosity. Lines 52 to 93 set out again the essential teaching of Dante's cosmology. Note how the feel of what follows is, balance, is a balance between Thomism, that is Aristotelian scholasticism, and Plato's theory of forms or archetypes. Even though Dante may have known Plato only through the Timaeus. The rigid, rigidity of scholasticism is mellowed through the oral, oral tradition known to Dante and share, now shared with us through his poetic gifts. His love and respect for the writings of St. Dionysius the Areopagite helped to connect him to the mystical tradition of the Fathers and transcend the limitations of scholasticism that was to set philosophy above theology. Scholastic sought for explanation through the empirical and things in themselves, hence the, the connection between scholasticism and the gradual emergence of the scientific method. The scholastics sought for always explanations, and they lost symbolic insight for dialectic argument and help replace the monastery as the centre of learning for the university. It was this intellectual discipline which alienated increasingly the Catholic West from the Orthodox East. In a nutshell, all created things, mortal and immortal, are but a reflected splendour of the idea or word, logos, of the deity. The light is the living luminance reflecting and radiating to all things, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Thus, in the divine wisdom, are the ideas of all things, exemplar forms, existing in the divine mind. The nine orders of the angelic intelligences who oversee respectively the nine heavens of Dante's cosmology, that is excluding the Empyrean, are the mirrors by which, figuratively speaking, the radiance as a direct ray descends and imprints as if on wax the material forms of this world. Nature, like an artist, suggests Dante, fumbles to give expression to the imprint that would stamp on its wax, that is matter. Hence we may find good and bad fruit on a tree. The case of Adam prior to the fall and the incarnate, incarnate Lord, the second Adam, the, sorry, I recast that, in the case of Adam, and prior to the fall, and the incarnate Lord, the second Adam, the imprint was perfect. Is there a sense of dualism here? There's no ev evidence whatsoever that Dante beheld matter to be inherently evil. He understood matter to be finite and therefore subject to change and difference. His grasp of creation comes not only through traditional knowledge, but by his own experience as a poet and artist of memorable imagery. As, Do uh, as Dorothy Sayers notes, a far greater mystery is seen to emerge, the mystery as to how an imperfect world can be produced 
from the operations of nature on primal matter, both themselves direct creations of God. As if to throw a true model or icon before our proud conceits, judgmental prejudices and encyclopedic systems, St. Thomas Aquinas proceeds to take Solomon as the epitome of kingly, that is, worldly wisdom. It is folly to run before we can talk, and before we can walk. Aquinas is referring to the tale to be found in 1 Kings 3, verses 5 to 12, concerning Israel's great king asking God the grace to have an, in, an understanding heart to judge wisely his people. This is the essential wisdom we should ask for in our several ways of life. Dorothy Sayers, with her usual grasp of Dante's arguments, admirably paraphrases the sequence of Aquinas's warnings against hasty judgments, prejudices, and intellectual stubbornness. See The Penguin Paradise, page 176. Solomon did not ask for the knowledge of how many intelligences move the heavenly spheres. He did not ask whether in logic a limitation occurring in either of the premises can be escaped in the conclusion, a thing Aristotle affirms but which Plato denies. He did not ask whether it must be conceded that there is such a thing as first motion, or whether the th truths of geometry are valid throughout the universe. Long before asking for philo philosophical insight, wisdom of this or that, speculative or scientific, metaphysic, logics, <coughs> logic, physics or whatever, we should ask for the practical wisdom of daily life, which is the fruit of love. And finally, Canto 14, lines 1 to 84. The heaven of the sun is radiant and compassionate beauty. The light of the souls overwhelms Dante as they dance about him with lyrical joy. Here he is caught up in the praise of the most holy trinity and the incarnation. Solomon now speaks to him. Paradise is a feast at which the souls are robed in light according to their ardour. Hence vision must ever increase, for their brightness corresponds and increases ever with the fervour of the will. In the light, capital L, they see light. At the resurrection, the light of the resurrected body would glow with even greater intensity and the union between soul and body will be complete. Nothing shall weary it and through such a union join will be complete. And Dante intuitively feels that the souls about him yearn for their bodies as all those persons known and dear to them during their earthly lives. And note the speaker about this yearning for the, the resurrected body is no other than traditionally the writer of the Songs of Songs. Suddenly Dante sees a third circle of blessed spirits appearing like a brightening horizon O vero sfavilara del santo spiro, O true radiancy of the holy breath. But the vision fades as soon as he beholds it. We may well ask, what is implied by the distant third circle of radiant souls? Perhaps something of Joachim of Flora's symbolic prophecies lurk here.
Could the first circle of intellect be somehow related to the Father, the second circle of love related to the Son, whilst the third, hardly perceived circle, relate to the Holy Spirit? If so, then the third circle represents the fullness of the life of the Church triumphant. This is why Dante's vision fades. He is unable to behold its overpowering intensity. Furthermore, it has been a preparation for his first vision of Christ. In conclusion, it may be said that the heaven of the sun, which is bathed in the transfiguring light of Tabor, the Shekinah, is a foretaste of the glory of the resurrection.